Expert Gold Radio Show, which shows you how to grow your business by leveraging your expertise. Now here's your host, Gihan Pereira, for this month's show. Welcome to Expert Gold Radio for December 2012. Can you believe it's December already? The year seems to have flown, as it certainly seems that way for me, and I hope it's been successful for you, both in your personal and your professional lives. This month's feature guest is Rachel Staggs. You'll meet her soon in our feature interview about authority marketing. And after that conversation with Rachel, I want to give you a series of questions that you can use to create your internet marketing plan for 2013. But before we get to that, I also want to share with you a simple but powerful goal-setting process because, of course, this is the time of the year that many people are setting goals. This process is something that I use myself every year, something I've shared with clients, colleagues and friends, and they love it. It doesn't replace any of the other goal-setting processes that you might be using, but it's a useful framework for you to take stock of where you are at the moment and identify where you'd like to be at the end of next year. For example... I know exactly what to get my nephew Riley and my niece Abby for Christmas this year because they've both made detailed gift lists. And in their list, they've marked some things as things that they want, some others as things that they really want, and others as things that they really, really, really want. And I love it. It makes it so much easier for us to choose gifts for them. And it means that they actually do get what they really, really, really want. And I wonder, have you done the same for your goals? Even if you don't have generous family and friends to shower you with everything that you want, I reckon this is still a good idea. And you don't have to share it with anyone else, but at least you're setting a direction for yourself. Now, you can do this for all areas of your life, of course, but I want to focus on your internet strategy in particular. So, I've got an exercise for you, and you need a piece of paper and a pen. So to start, take that piece of paper, a blank piece of paper, and draw a vertical line down the middle and a horizontal line halfway down. So you end up with a graph with a horizontal and vertical axis. The horizontal axis is labelled have. So, on the left-hand side, write down don't have on the far left, and on the right-hand side, write down have. The vertical axis is want. So label it with don't want at the bottom and want at the top. So you've got four quadrants going from don't want to want from bottom to top and don't have to have from left to right. Now, let's look at each of these four quadrants. So we're going to start with the top right. This is the quadrant which is have and want. I'd like you to label it gratitude. So these are the things that you have and that you do want. So what do you like about your current internet strategy. It could be a website, it could be lots of newsletter subscribers, it could be a shopping cart that works, it could be that you're getting strong leads through the website, it could be that you've got Twitter followers who enthusiastically retweet. Whatever you've got, write them down in that top right quadrant. And write as many as you can. Don't stop at five or six, just write down all the things that you're grateful for what you've got at the moment. Then jump down to the bottom left. This is the opposite, which is don't have and don't want. I'd like you to label this quadrant avoidance. So what are you pleased that you don't have? Things like a slow web server or fraudulent credit card transactions or nasty people posting comments on your Facebook page. These are also things to be grateful for, but also things to keep avoiding. Now go across to the bottom right. This is the have and don't want quadrant. And I'd like you to label this one eliminate. So what would you like to eliminate? What's getting in the way of you having a smoother, more profitable business, especially online? So is it manual processing of orders, unnecessary queries from your members of your membership site, uh, credit card transactions that occasionally fail, uh, tire kickers who just waste your time but don't want to really do business with you? What are the sort of things that you'd like to eliminate? Put them in that quadrant. And then finally, jump up to the top left, which is don't have and want. 
And this is the Aspire Quadrant. So write the word Aspire in that top left quadrant. So what do you want to achieve or add to your business? So X number of dollars in online sales each month, a Y percent conversion rate from your first time visitors, uh, more tweets and retweets, uh, Z new members in your membership site. So what are the sort of things that you'd like to aspire to? As you can see, the first two, which are gratitude and avoidance, are things that are what you've currently got in your business that you don't want to change. You're happy with them. And the other two are the things that you do want to change. So use the first two to be grateful for what you've got and the other two to set your goals for the coming year. It's a simple but a very powerful process. I I wish you all the best with it and I wish you all the best for making 2013 the best year of your life. So let's move on to our feature interview. And this one is with Rachel Staggs, who's an expert in online marketing and offline marketing. Let's jump into that conversation now. This is Gihan Pereira, and I'm talking with Rachel Staggs from SRS Coaching and Consulting. Rachel's a business consultant for for financial advisors, and I know she's been working in the financial services area for over 15 years, and she really helps advisors with the one area which they often need the most help with, which is marketing. And I first came across Rachel a couple of years ago. I attended a webinar that she was running about social media, and even though it was aimed at financial advisors specifically, so much of her advice was relevant and, and appropriate for any expert, and it was also practical advice which I love so I'm really pleased to have you here Rachel today welcome oh thank you Gihan thank you very much it's a privilege to be um, asked along as one of your guests so thank you very much yeah you're welcome I'm sure that we'll have a very interesting conversation and create a, create a lot of value for for both of our audiences because uh, as I said they're kind of different audiences but there's so much of them there's so much that's relevant to both of them Mm. So let's start, Rachel. Can you tell me a little bit about your background, particularly like how you moved into coaching and consulting and what what do you think are the key differences that you make in your clients' businesses? Sure. Well, I had been consul- well using the consulting model, if you like, for a number of years and I'm a very um, action focused person so I appreciate that we can strategize until the cows come home but at the end of the day if you don't take the action you're not going to see the results and it was one of those turning points in my career where I I met um, a senior lady of of a large corporate and she was talking to me about the magic of coaching and how she'd just gone through this course to learn how to be a coach and I just was so inspired by what she was talking about and the results that you could get from coaching that I went off and you know, undertook more study to find out about the coaching methodologies because there's lots of different models out there. And I thought to myself, what a great opportunity it would be to have the two options. You could have the coaching model or the consulting model to offer to clients. And I think the biggest difference I see is with the consulting models, it's generally, look, this is the problem. I'll go away and develop the solution. There you are, Mr. Client. You implement it yourself. And now working with financial advisors, I know that the challenge for them, you know, they are small business owners and the challenge like a lot of small businesses is the implementation. So the coaching model lends itself to allow me to help coach and implement the strategies that we've talked about. So at the end of the day, it's a it's an end-to-end process that people get. They get the strategy, but they also get the implementation, which is what I found my particular market was missing. So in terms of what do they get at the end of the day, um, I teach and support them so that they can attract and retain the right clients. It's always the clients that they want. Sorry, there's always another phone going when you don't want to, isn't it? <laughs> that's all right. That's um, that's a, just part of being part of a busy office. <laughs> Absolutely. So, as I was saying, at the end of the day, I help advisors attract and retain the right clients, and I do it using both the online and the offline marketing strategies. Actually, it's interesting you said that because you have been doing 
this for I think 15 years or more and you just mentioned offline and online mm. and I know in that 15 years there's, mm. there's been huge shifts I'm sure uh, what do you think are the biggest changes that have happened in that time obviously apart from the growth of online but what has that yeah. meant for marketing I think there's a couple of um, major areas that um, it's impacted or it, that marketing has changed and I think the first one is actually very consumer driven so I believe that we're even more sophisticated and more educated than we were ever before and you can put that down to the internet or whatever it is but the result of that is we are more cynical and I think Australians are more cynical than perhaps any other nation that I know. So, you know, we, we tend to look to the US to find out what they're doing but I always find that when you do that, you really do need to adapt it to the Australian style. Now, obviously, the internet has powered or driven how we um, make decisions. Um, and I think that at the end of the day, it has impacted our lives. It's impacted the way that we gather information. You know, as I said before, we're more informed than ever before. We're researching online. So from a marketing perspective, we've really had to step back and learn more about the psychology of how people make decisions and the marketing is quite sophisticated. And this is how I think some people get it wrong because marketing is a really sophisticated topic and you need to be able to tap into the emotional drivers to help or really to facilitate the decision-making process of your client. So I think it's really twofold. Clients, we have evolved, but also with the power of the internet, that's changed our habits and our, 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 you know, our education and our, and our learnings. There's a word I want to pick up on, on the phrase uh, about decision-making, Rachel. Yes. It seems like you're saying that what's changed is the way that, that, that our clients and potential clients make decisions. Absolutely. Uh, and, and therefore, like I guess in the old days, it, it was simple. They'd just pick up the phone and call the advisor, and that would be the first step. But now there's a lot more that goes into the decision-making process. And if you're lucky, you might be there as, a, as one of those steps along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that... Um, and this is probably the same from years ago, but it's more prevalent now that, you know, we all work so hard for our money. The last thing we want to do is make a bad financial decision. So that's a bad financial decision if you're using, engaging a financial advisor or whatever it is. So when we're buying something that's perceived as complex or, or challenging or expensive, then we really need to step back and consumers are, they're stepping back and doing the research. They're not doing the knee-jerk decisions that I think that we maybe used to make when it was just pure TV advertising because we weren't given the options that we're given now. The olden days, if you like, it was just mass advertising. So as a consumer, there was probably two or three brands that you knew and they were the choices that you had. Well, now we're inundated with choices. So there's more choices. So hang on, before I make a decision, I'm might just do a bit of research and it's interesting yesterday I was at the chiropractors and waiting in the waiting room you know I'm one of those people that loves all this mobile technology so I'm on the I'm on the internet on my phone in the chiropractor's office doing some research about camping chairs for a Christmas present so you know that type of thing is also fueling how we make decisions yeah, yeah, that's so. That's interesting, isn't it? And we are doing that. We're doing that more and more. So, that, from the consumer's point of view, their whole behaviour has changed, mm. uh, and which I guess that means as business owners, we need to do things differently. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and most business owners just aren't very good at marketing, unfortunately. No, they're not. They think they are. Um, 
I don't know what it is about marketing. I just don't know, but everybody thinks that they're a good marketer. But you are right. Things have really changed. You know, the, there's a real paradigm shift um, out there. And, you know, slowly through the work that you do and through the work that I do and that others do, we're helping them understand that the language has changed you know, the level of communication has changed. Even the powers have changed. I read somewhere the other day that, you know, the next 12 months, it's really going to be consumers doing our marketing for us. So, you know, again, years ago, marketing had big budgets to spend, but it's really about people having their say now and they're going to do the marketing for you. So, yes, it's all changed. It's, I think it's ex- exciting times and I can't, whilst this may strange, sound strange, I can't wait for sort of 10 years' time to look back on these times and see how much we've progressed in another 10 years as well. I think it's very exciting. Wow, that, that is exciting. That's mm. right. And just following on from what you said, Rachel, so you said that there's the, there's a language, the, the yeah. language of marketing, and you just even the idea that the power of marketing is going to go to consumers, it just reminded me of something else that you do. Because when most people hear the word marketing, they're, they're only thinking of the, the front end of it that's getting new leads and new clients. Mm. But I know that one of the things that you do is that you emphasize that marketing is uh, the, the whole process and is also about the other end, which is about keeping and retaining the clients that you've already got. Mm. So how important do you think that is? And what, what, what do you think that a business owner can do in this area, whether a financial advisor or some other expert? Look, I think it's really critical to business success, uh, really on a, a couple of levels. You know, the first thing, just very simplistically, you know, if you're looking to build a business, then sell it. You know, having regular revenue and a loyal customer base has clearly got to put more value on your business. So I think that lends itself to whatever business you've got, whether it's a product or a service. If you've got a loyal following, you know, you've got that retention of clients, it's going to put more value on your business. Um, conversely, if you're not looking to sell, then it's really about sustainability. That's where that comes into play. You know, having loyal clients really suits, I think, most service business models because it's regular revenue and it's also regular referral points and that's kind of lends itself again to what I said that consumers will be doing um, the marketing for us so retaining clients is yeah absolutely critical for business success. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's what triggered that question for me that you were talking about consumers mm-hmm. doing our marketing for us. And of course, our, our most loyal clients are probably going to be the most, uh, the, uh, the best marketers for our new, for getting new business. Well, what are they, what are they, what's the saying that I, I say to people? Saying how good you are is gloating, but when somebody else says how good you are, it has credibility. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm, I even find this side for myself, Rachel, like it's interesting that you and I both, we both advise uh, clients to do this. And I find for myself, sometimes I need to take my own advice as well. <laughs> That's like the plumber with the leaking tap though, absolutely, isn't it? <laughs> absolutely. And I know that I, one of the things I say to people is, that, look, instead of looking for new customers and clients for your products and services, look for new products and services that you can offer to your customers and clients because it's it's much more valuable for the people that you've already got and it's probably much easier for you in marketing. And I'm finding the same thing. I'm just looking at it. Just recently, I've been looking at some new services that I've been offering and sometimes even relaunching an old service that I used to offer a decade ago. And it's just amazing how my my existing clients are really happy to, that, that I'm offering this service and they're the ones who are most excited about it because they do know, like, and trust me and they just want more of me and uh, I've just been holding it back and not offering it and 
thinking of how do I reach new markets when maybe it's not. It's just going back to the old markets but with new offerings. Oh, that is so true because we all know, I mean, this is a relationship building game and we all know how long it takes to build and how much energy and effort it takes to build a relationship. So for what purpose would you let that go? So, yeah, doing what you're doing is absolutely gold. You know, you are their trusted advisor. They do, they trust you, they want, they want more information from you. If, and I always say to, to my clients, because some people get, I, this goes back to that cynical thing, some people get a bit cynical with this. And I always say, you know, you're not dangling a carrot. You need to come, from a marketing perspective, I also think you need to come from the right position. You really need to have um, confidence um, and a sense of purpose of what you're doing, knowing that you are doing whatever you do can do to help that client rather than and there are other marketers out there that are just trying to flog a product and they don't care how the client feels well that's lack of integrity and I don't buy into that so if you can offer more products and services to further help your client that's got to be golden absolutely I like the word you use there help because that's what it's all about isn't it how can you be more helpful Mm. rather than being more pushy Mm, oh yeah and you know we know when someone's being pushy and no one wants to operate a business like that at all not at all that's right i agree i agree and you, and you actually it's interesting you talked about the time it takes to do marketing and i'm really glad you brought up that topic <laughs> yes <laughs> because you know like my area of expertise is with online marketing yes uh, actually i'm curious let's start with this so even online marketing covers a lot of things so you can talk yeah. about your website your blog your newsletter youtube Facebook, Twitter, webinars, all those sort of things. Mm. Just in your experience, what do you think are the most important of these for a business or practice? What, did, what should they be focusing on? Look, my, my thoughts are at the end of the day, you've got to have a website. If you, cause, and I say to people, look, 80% of the people that meet you for the very first time will Google your name. If you don't rank on page one, chances are you're not going to get the phone call. They're going to call the other business that they've been referred to as well. So number one is you need a website. And also if we think about the olden days, again, you know, yellow pages, if if you didn't have an ad in yellow pages, then you weren't really perceived to be a credible business. So my number one thing is you have to have a website. Then I will always say to people, from a marketing perspective, you've always got to do what you enjoy. So there's no point in any of us force-feeding clients and saying, you've got to do Twitter or you've got to do Facebook or you've got to do LinkedIn. I think at the end of the day, they've got to use one of the social media platforms that they get a connection with and want to use. The worst thing is when we procrastinate about something because we just don't want to do it because you know what it's just they're not going to use it and as I know that you um, you coach your clients in as well Gihan is with online it's about consistency so don't go and pick a social media platform that you just hate and I find that a lot of my clients hate Twitter whatever purpose they just do. So that's not going to be the first... If I hear that language, if I hear them saying that, that's not going to be the first platform I advise they use. We'll go and use another one and slowly over time we'll build up that platform. But I think to answer your question, must have a website. You've got to have social media, but choose the tools that you like using. And I really want to pick up on one thing you just said there, Rachel. You said mm. you've, got to, you've got to have a website and you've got to be on the first page of Google. Mm. But I really like that you said that when people Google your name, you want to mm. be there on the first page because yes. otherwise that whole search engine optimization thing seems like it's way too 
too big. It's too big a problem to solve or it's too big or it's too expensive to solve to get on the first page for your topic area. But it should be easy to be the, uh, on the first page of Google for your name. Well, yeah, look, you'd hope so. And I, I know that, you know, quite there are some um, popular common surnames out there. And I know that some of my clients are being stung by that because they haven't set up their LinkedIn profiles correctly. If, you know, a while ago, they weren't taught about the, the URL. So, but yes, absolutely. You would think that their name ranks definitely. Yeah, and actually you made a good point there as well, that it's not just about being ranked for your name on Google. It might be that the first thing that comes on Google is your LinkedIn profile because LinkedIn is a very popular site, so Google gives it a high ranking. And I really like that, Rachel, because I think that's something that's very achievable for most business owners to be ranked on the first page of Google for their name, Mm. whether it's because of their website or their blog or LinkedIn. And I really like that, and I think that's something that's that's worth setting as as a first goal. And I, I, I remember years ago, one of my mentors said to me, you know, when we were consulting, didn't matter who we worked for at the end of the day, the client, we were the product. We as the, as the face, mm-hmm. you know, Rachel Staggs mm-hmm. was the product. Mm-hmm. So when someone refers you within a services industry, it's normally that person's name. You know, you want to go and talk to Gihan. You know, you want to go and talk to Rachel. You want to go and talk to Jack. So, yeah, absolutely, making sure that your name is ranked is really important in the service industry. Mm. And do you also recommend to your clients that they get the domain name? So would you say that they should always get rachelstags.com even if they're working for a practice? Yeah, absolutely. If they can do, yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so this is good because this is leading into the, the question that I was going to ask you about time and you, you touched on mm. this earlier because one of the mm. biggest objections that people have to all of this, particularly the online stuff, is that it just takes too much time and there's a very low return on investment. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's, what's your experience with that? And what do you say to, to that comment? Oh, I just want to jump up and down right now. Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, I hear that a lot. And you know what? The first thing I'm going to say is that's an excuse. So, you know, a lot of times people say, oh, this just takes up t- so much time. Well, how do you know that? If you haven't started it, how do you know it takes mm. up so much time? So I actually think that's a bit of a – that's kind of like a cop-out because everybody's busy. And I remember – I did further study when I, was, um, when I was an adult, and I remember one of the senior lecturers saying to us, you will not walk along the street and find more time. There is not an, a, uh, you know, a half an hour in your day that you don't fill up. And there's not. You know, all of us work to full capacity. So going back to that paradigm change, I think there is in terms of you know, the work and, and what you actually do within the nine to five time, if, if that's what you, you do. However, I do think that saying I don't have enough time, this takes up time, too much time is an excuse because I think that a lot of people are overwhelmed by this whole social media online world. So I think you need to really strip it back and make it very simple because at the end of the day, it is simple. It's, it's not that hard. Um, so to answer that question, yes, I'll say it's a copper. And then I'll say all you need to do is essentially to set it all up, it might take you some overtime. You might need overtime to set it up. But once you've set out a strategy, once you've actually allocated what you need to do, why and when, it becomes part of your working week. And if you're spending, I had a client that was spending five hours a day, he told me on LinkedIn, I wasn't really quite sure how he was doing that. But if you're spending more than 30 minutes, you know, just on the one social media platform, I would say you haven't got your strategy right. So I'm saying it's an excuse. 
we're all in the same boat. Social media online, it's not going anywhere. We need to adapt our working week to include it. So you might need to do some overtime, but 30 minutes a day and you should be getting some great results. Okay, okay. So I love that you, <laughs> I love that you threw it back and you, you put out the challenge there and, yeah. <laughs> and you push back on that, which I, which I love. So, but, but I also, I'm a small business owner. You know, I'm a working mum and I, I use, I can honestly say hand on my heart, a lot of my work comes through the fact that I do have an online presence. So I'm walking the talk as I'm sure you are as well. I'm just wondering though that whether people look at us a little bit skeptically, mm. uh, and not that they're not that they, that they think that we're doing anything untoward or unethical, but they think yeah. that because we work in online marketing, mm. it's easy for us to spend time in that because well, you know we need to spend the time in that to learn what to do anyway. So perhaps it's more natural. Whereas if you're working with a financial advisor mm. who spends their time in meetings with clients and writing up financial advice plans and and following up and keeping track of what's happening in the market. Markets, mm-hmm. Or if I'm working with a professional speaker who spends their time delivering presentations and planning presentations, whether it's a little bit different. And so they might look at us and say, well, it's OK for you. It's easy for you to say that because that is your area. But for us, who are co- that's not our core business, mm. how can we make the time for that? Yeah, but I don't spend all day doing online marketing. I've no, got, I don't either. Yeah. Exactly. I've, got, either. I've got clients. I've got strategies I'm writing for clients. I'm helping them with implementation. Uh, I'm yeah I'm doing a bucket load of other things and that's why I know that you only once you set it up properly half an hour a day will get you some great results so yeah very good point Gihan but I'm no guru in all of this I'm just using it in my business and I that that's why I know it works Mm, okay great and you mentioned a couple of times this this idea of strategy Yes. And you just need to set it up properly. So let's yes. let's dig into that a little bit deeper because I know that there have been people who go, okay, I, I believe you, Rachel. Yes. <laughs> Stop trying to convince me I'm convinced. But right. what should I do? So give, give yeah. me some practical things. So how do you put a strategy in place? And I know this is what you do when you, uh, as part of your coaching and consulting practice. So I'm not asking you for the, the whole thing because I know we haven't got the time for that. Yeah. But how do you get started? Like how do you put a strategy in place? First of all, let me just say, sometimes when we say the word strategy, I think people just think, oh gosh, that's too big, that's too complicated. So strategy is just clarity. Let's say that strategy is just clarity. You're going to get an A4 piece of paper, you're going to turn it onto landscape, you're going to draw your box and you're going to work out who do you need to talk to. So with a lot of my clients, they can talk to potential referral partners and they can talk to clients. So exactly who do you want to talk to? That's great. What information do they want to read about? So what information do you want to give? Now, luckily in financial services, there is a plethora of information. That's one Mm. thing that we don't have a challenge with. We've got lots of information. So who, what, what platform are they using? So decide, is it LinkedIn, is it Facebook, which platform is it? And then you you work out every single day, you map it out, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and you work out what action are you going to take on each of those days. It's really, it's not, I get frustrated when, um, you know, I hear of, you know, peers who are making social media so complicated that people just go, oh, I'm overwhelmed, it's too hard. It's really not. Mm. It's a bit like, sorry, it's a bit like when we used to have the coffee chats and we still do. Who do I want to talk to? What do I want to talk to them about? And which coffee shop am I going to go to? And mm-hmm. how? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Can you give me some examples of the actions that are the last step that you might do every day in that process? So what are some typical things that you might put aside, put aside time to do every day? Okay, so every day you might connect with a minimum of three people. Um, every, and then the next day you might um, source information because I know that this is another challenge for people is, oh, I'm not a writer. Can I tell you I was never a writer either? You know, my mum laughs when I tell her that I do blogs and articles. <laughs> so, <laughs> we know this world of the internet, we can all change. We can all actually write. So you might want to source information. You might want to write an article. And then it's a matter of posting it. I don't know. What do you th- what do you think? What what are the things do you get your clients to do every day? Well, I do like the idea of to, that. It doesn't have to be the same thing every day. Mm-hmm. So it can be you know you set aside your week and you set aside a schedule. So the sort of things that I would recommend is once a week create something. So it might be writing a short article or creating a YouTube video, and that's the sort of thing which is which is your creation. Mm-hmm. And I know. See, with a lot of my clients, that's where they get a little concerned. Oh, I, know. I, I don't I get want that. To create some- <laughs> So I'll always say to them, you can always repost something that somebody else has written, but don't just get the URL and stick it there. Tell people what are the three things they're going to get out of reading that article. Exactly, and I think that's part that's part of the key of the curation, isn't it? That you you don't just share what what somebody else has posted without putting some context around it, and that's that's the value that you provide. And I think that I think people forget that they provide a huge amount of value by just saying to their clients, "This is relevant to you, and here's why." And what's really important is, you know, one of the things that you do is you you are an advisor for your clients. And I think there's an expectation with that. They expect you as an online advisor, they expect you to know this world. You know, they expect you to be delivering this information. And it's the same with my clients. Their clients see them as the trusted financial advisor. Therefore, they should know all this information. And, you know, the client should naturally come to the advisor to find out, you know, what, what's happening in the markets, what's happening in the property market and all that type of stuff. I think, just think, and maybe this goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, is it's really consumer driven. The powers have shifted and expectations have changed as well. Yeah, I think that's exactly right, Rachel. And one of the other things that I think that many, many experts, whether they're financial advisors or, or speakers or consultants, one of the things they miss is that there's as much value in what you don't publish and what you don't share as there is in what you do. So I might like I might read 10 social media articles mm. and I know that they might all be great articles, but only one out of those 10 is relevant to my clients and my mm. network. And so I shared that one and I discard the nine and mm. they're, they're fine for somebody else. But the fact that I've chosen this particular one, that has value as well. And the fact that I've thrown away the other nine because that's not relevant. Mm. And I would have thought, you know, if someone is a um, is an up-and-coming or presenter or a professional presenter, the first place your client is going to go is, is the internet to see what is said about you. So, you know, the more information you can have on there about you know, what you stand for and, and what you think has surely got to be great positioning for you. Exactly. And you made that point earlier as well, that, yeah. that people people do want to do business with you personally, yes. regardless of your firm name or your business name or what, what name appears at the bottom of your checks and invoices, that mm. matters less than the name that you were born with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great, great. So 
So I think we've given people a, a good chance to get started, Rachel. Do you think so? I, I, think I so. mean, and look, I know, you know, I did this all myself as well. So and can I honestly say I'm not an IT expert, you know, far from it, but I understand that social media and the internet, all that world is not going anywhere. You know, as I, and I say to my clients, it's not going anywhere. Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, their brand names, whether they come or go, the concept is still here. So if you're growing a sustainable business, you've got to be part of it. So take a, you know, take a small step and, and you'll see some great results. Yeah, I agree. I agree as well. And mm. one thing I don't want to forget, by the way, is that I mean, we've, we're both passionate of, well, maybe I more than you, passionate yes. about the online marketing. Yes. But I know that you help clients in the, the whole broad base of marketing, and we've talked a lot about online. Yes. But I know that you help people with offline as well. And in, in your experience, what sort of off, what offline marketing methods still work? and are still worth doing, or maybe some things that you find that, that are now worth doing even more than ever before? Yeah, it's an interesting question because we're talking about, in this conversation day to day, it's all about relationship building, isn't it? So the online world, yes, because that's how we also build relationships. But can I tell you the, the number one thing from a traditional perspective is the old-fashioned face-to-face networking. And I know, again, that people shy away from it because they don't know what to talk about. They think they're uninteresting mm. um, and, you know, the, the, the lack of confidence goes down. But I know so many um, business people, doesn't matter what industry they're in, who are still doing the face-to-face networking and it's absolutely going gung-ho for them. But I say it's all about relationship building and that's, it works. And I think that's one of the things that's very easy to to partition your life into doing offline marketing and online marketing and forget that they actually combine, that it's just all marketing. And especially, I think, if you're using something like LinkedIn, where LinkedIn is a great place to connect with people with the intent of perhaps connecting with them face-to-face or in the real world at some point. Oh, I think I think the funniest thing, and I still smile at this, is when I go to the annual conferences that we have in our industry and people will come up to me and they'll say, oh, hi, Rachel, we're connected on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Now, I might not know them, but they obviously know my face, but it's just such an easier way to start a conversation. And it's, it's wonderful. You kind of laugh and you go, oh, of course, yeah, you know, and have a bit of a, a giggle and it's an icebreaker. Yeah, and I found it the other way around as well. Like you might go yes. to a networking event and then you, you get back home, you get back to your office and suddenly there's a, the five LinkedIn invitations yes. from people that you've just met. And, and it makes sense, uh, Rachel. It's not just a case if you're not, you're not doing it because somebody told you you need to connect with more people on LinkedIn. You're doing it because you do want to continue that connection with them. And in some way, all you're doing is you're just, you're just making that connection last longer uh, rather than you forgetting about them or putting their business card at the bottom of your drawer because yeah. uh, because that's the end of that function and you're on to the next one. Yeah, so that's why I say the face-to-face networking still has a lot of value. Yeah, great, great. And I say that to my clients as well. In fact, with my clients, because a lot of them are presenters, I say to them, yes. if you want to get even more value, the best thing that you can do is be the guest speaker at a networking function. Oh, yes, that's got to be extremely powerful for them, I would have thought. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure there are a number of financial advisors who are doing, even if they're not guest speakers at other people's networking functions, they're still running seminars for their clients, aren't they? And that face-to-face seminar where they they bring along their clients, perhaps invite them to bring along a friend, Mm. and then they just teach them something and just show how great they are. 
Yeah, and that's that's actually a very good point, Gihan, because that's where um, a lot of clients see value from their advisors. So, and there's this big issue about um, value demonstrating value of advice at the moment. Um, and I think that all of these activities do demonstrate value. So, absolutely, I agree with what you're saying. Yep, exactly. Exactly with the shift, especially with the shift to to fee based advice nowadays. I'm sure that that's a big thing that that all that all advisors are looking to. Uh, looking to do, how how mm. can I demonstrate the value for the fees that I'm charging? Yeah, and look, most advisors now are fee fee for service, um, but it's just you know it's the economic conditions or our times that are making people question why am I why am I parting with my money? What am I getting for my money? And that's happening not just for financial advisors. That's that's all that's all of us. As I said before, we all work so hard for our money. We want to make sure we're getting a good return for it. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm finding the same thing with speakers and trainers who are finding yeah. that clients not clients and audiences yes. are just demanding more. So it's it's not enough now to just turn up to rock up for a one hour presentation and then walk out. People are expecting you to provide material beforehand. People are expecting you to provide material afterwards. As you said, uh, people will go and Google you before the presentation to find out yeah. who you are and what you stand for. And if you don't provide that, then people just don't see you as a credible credible expert. Absolutely. And obviously, being a presenter, you want to be seen as, as the guru. You want to stand for, for your positioning. So the marketing, the online stuff is yeah, so important for your guys. Absolutely. So do you think it's time for us to get off our soapboxes, Rachel? I don't, I'm not on my soapbox yet. <laughs> Let me get on my soapbox. Yeah. <laughs> but, okay. But obviously we're both really passionate about this. So yeah. look, if, if people put these ideas into practice, what sort of results right. can you expect and, and how quickly? So what are the sort of things that you think are, are realistic for somebody putting these ideas into practice, whether it's offline or online in terms of their marketing, what, what do you think? What's, what's, realist, what's the realist, realistic expectation? I'll give you an example of a client that I was working with. He had been in the industry for some years. So he had um, acquired a fairly large database of clients, too large for him to meet with on a regular basis. And he had a few referral partners, but he hadn't spoken to them for a while either. So his real concerns were attracting new business from his referral partners and retaining his clients in the new world had no online presence at all. So over a period of, I would say, let's be realistic, let's say nine months, we developed an online presence for him. So we had um, an engaging website. Um, He had simple things like the e-newsletter. So a whole heap of online communications. And all of a sudden, he was talking to a 100 more clients than he'd ever spoken to before. He couldn't believe it. Mm. He was like, wow. And all of this didn't cost him that much because that's another great thing about the internet. So all of a sudden, he was talking to more clients than he'd ever done before. That allowed for, in terms of a conversion, more people were coming in to see him to having their to have their financial situations reviewed, which is a great thing for him, but also a great thing for them. It gave him more opportunities to talk to his referral partners, which gave them a level of comfort that he was a trusted advisor because also in in this industry, some of the referral partners don't trust the advisors. So it helped build his positioning and trust. So at the end of the day, he got more leads from his referral partners. His clients were being communicated to conversion rate went up. So I can't put a dollar sign on it today for you, but I can just say that we went from a position of nothing 
to, you know, not a complex position. We basically just created a website and some online communication tools and he's now in touch with more people than he ever has been before and it's fabulous. And that was somebody, Gihan, that didn't want anything to do with the internet at all and then he realised the power of it. And I think uh, one of the things I love about this story you just told, Rachel, apart from that, congratulations, that's a great success story. Oh. But one of, the really, one of the things I can pick in that is that what you're talking about is as you're measuring if don't just only focus on the final outcome, but focus on the steps along the way and the the growth along the way. So you talked about more leads, um, more more referrals, yep. uh, more conversations with potential clients, and those are the things to measure. And I, I say that often to clients. So it's not about the number of hits on your website or the number of followers or the number of connections on LinkedIn. However, you do want to you do want to measure the growth in those things because those are the things, those are the indicators that are going to then lead to work in the future. Absolutely, yeah. And who was it? Seth Seth Godin, the lovely Seth Godin. I think I I read one of his blogs because lots of people say, "Oh, should I just accept invitations on LinkedIn all the time?" Mm-hmm. And he talks about quality rather than quantity because it is again at the end of the again end of the day, go back to basics. It's about relationship building. It is about quality rather than you know quantity. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Mm. So Rachel, before we finish off. Yeah. Let's talk about. Let's talk a little bit about you. So, first of all, I'd like to know what yes. sort of clients do you like to work with? Right. There, is a particular type of financial advisor, typical size of firm, um, geographical area? Tell me a little bit about the sort of people that you can most help. Okay, well, the people that I can help geographically not a problem, but the people that I can help are those that want to develop some systems and processes around attracting and retaining the right clients. So, typically. My clients can be, you know, some of them are just entering into the industry and some of them um, are quite mature in the industry, but they all acknowledge that they know nothing about marketing and they need somebody to teach them and educate them and hold their hand along the way to help them develop the strategy and teach them how to implement it. So they're all financial advisors um, or they could be dealer groups that um, want an advisor marketing program developed because I do that as well. But at the end of the day, it's those that appreciate they don't know how to attract and retain the right clients for their business. Great. Great. Okay. So that they can qualify themselves that way. And I think that's, that's useful, isn't it? Because you don't want to work with people who you have to, that you have to convince of the, of the problem first. Yeah. And there are lots of clients out there that um, think that they can engage, engage somebody like myself and I'll, you know, come in and, and do all their marketing for them. It's not about that. It's about teaching them to do it so that when I'm not there, they know how to do it. It becomes part of their marketing culture, I call it. Yeah, great, great. And just on a uh, on a professional, personal note, what's what's ahead for you in the next twelve months? What do you what do you see on the horizon for for your business, which obviously also affects your clients? Yep, um, more of this. Um, it's really interesting. The appetite to know how to attract the right type of client is really growing in our industry. So. Historically, um, advisors have maybe just taken on any clients and obviously that has some fundamental problems to it. So they're now all realizing, hang on, let me step back. I need to find the right clients 
So they need someone to come and help them do that. And then it's all about, um, you know, the FOFA changes that are coming in, which for your guys who perhaps don't know what that is, it's all about the regulatory changes that are coming into the industry. We've got things called opt-in where clients can sign a piece of paper to say, look, I don't want to use you anymore. So that's all that piece around how do we retain people. So definitely a growing area. And then, you know, put on top of that this whole online world as well then um yeah there's great great opportunities and really looking forward to 2013 it's very exciting times i agree it is for me as well yeah i was gonna say what about you gihan what's 2000 can you believe that it's nearly the end of 2012 but what's on the horizon for I you know, I, I, I alluded to this earlier rachel so one of the things that i really want to do is to yes. be able to offer more value to my existing clients yes and uh, build up build up more services that I can offer to them. So that's that's a primary focus for what I want to do next year because I really do work with experts, whether they're speakers, trainers, consultants, even financial advisors. I've got some of them as clients. And just say, look, if I I know you and I know what you want and I know what's top of mind for you, here are a number of different ways that that we can work together and that I can help you. And uh, I guess in the past I've just been – uh, in a way, I've been negligent in not offering everything that I can, because once people find an advisor that they that they like and they want to work with, mm. then of course they want more and more from that advisor, rather than having to go out and then go through the whole process again to search and find somebody else who they're aligned with, who who they like, and who they who they trust. So I would much rather be able to say, look, I can offer these other services to you as well. And look, pick and choose. I'm, I'm not saying that you need to that you need to take on these additional services, but you, but there's an opportunity here. So that's one big part of what I want to do next year, Rachel. And as, as I'm looking to first and second quarter of 2013, mm-hmm. that's one of the biggest pushes that I'll be making to say I'll be running more workshops, doing yeah. more private mentoring, as yes. well as the membership site that I run at the moment. Fantastic. Oh, good. You know, I, I laugh about how quickly the year's gone. I keep saying to people, didn't I order the Christmas turkey only a month ago for last year? I'm, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> I think it has something to do with age, they say. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we finish off, I do want to give you the chance to tell tell people how they get in touch with you, Rachel. I know we've only scratched the surface in this time that we've had together, and I'm sure there are people who'd like to know more about what you do and mm-hmm. perhaps how they can work together with you. Oh, so sure. what's, the, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Oh, look, they can um, email me at um, Rachel, which is R-A-C-H-E-L, at srscc.com.au. That's Rachel at srscc.com.au. Or, you know what, you could um, you could Google my name and see what Google says. Mm-hmm. So Rachel Stacks and see where I come up. Um, but email or um, the SRSCC website as well. Thanks, Gihan. Appreciate that. Oh, look, my, my pleasure. And thank you so much for sharing your, your insights and your, and your enthusiasm, Rachel. I think uh, that your passion and enthusiasm really come through. And I think you, like I, we both want to make sure that we can help our clients to get the most value to be able to deliver the value to their clients. Yeah, absolutely. I think you, But I think you've got to be passionate about it. You've got to love what you do. Because imagine if you got up, got up every day and you, you dreaded going to work. That would be – I know that that's the way for some people. But for me, no, I love it. I love helping people. I love this industry and um, I think it's exciting times ahead. Yep, and that certainly shines through. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Rachel. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks, Gihan. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Rachel and got some ideas for 2013. 
This is the time of year when many business owners start making plans for the next year. So I'm going to help you plan your online marketing strategy for 2013. The world of marketing has changed in nine ways and you need to adapt to stay in touch with these things and run a successful business. Marketing used to be about brand, advertising, crowds, promotions, what you've got, broad reach, products, feature lists and transactions. Now it's about you, reputation, tribes, value, what they need, niches, experiences, frames and connections. Those nine principles are going to make up this marketing plan and for each of them I'm going to ask you three questions to answer in your own business. So think of this as a business coaching session. I suggest you do this with pen and paper or finger and keyboard ready and pause as we go so you have time to answer all the questions. Okay, so let's get started. So principle number one is show your face, not just your brand. People buy from people, so lead from the front publicly. It increases your connection with your customers and clients and gives you a head start over your competitors. So here are my three questions for you. Number one, why should they choose you? In other words, what's your point of difference? Number two, do you have a welcome video and what does it say? So make sure you have a welcome video which is on YouTube and on the homepage of your website which talks about you and why should they should choose you. And number three, do you have a domain name for your name like gihanperera.com or mattchurch.com or johnsmith.com? For experts, this is vital. Even if you have a business name, you should have your own name as a domain name as well. Okay, principle number two, lead with value, not with promotions. So be an expert in solving your customers' problems, not just a clever marketer. Here are the three questions. Number one, what are you the best in the world at? Seth Godin in his book, The Dip, says be the best in the world or quit. Now that sounds like a big challenge, but you get to decide what best is and you get to decide what world is. So what are you the best in your world at? Number two, how are you sharing your expertise online? So there are many places where you can demonstrate your expertise, like a blog, a newsletter, a podcast, videos, slideshows, free reports, LinkedIn groups, webinars, maybe even a radio show like this. Which of these are you using? And number three, how frequently are you blogging? Your blog should be the central hub of everything else that you do online. So you may be in other platforms as well, but make sure you've got a blog as well, because that's your business journal or business diary, where you log everything that goes on in your business in a professional sense. Okay, principle number three, invest in reputation, not just advertising. Internet users just don't have the time to follow every website link that they see. So you've got to prove you're an expert before they ever visit your website. So here are my three questions for reputation. Number one, what's your social influence strategy? In other words, where are you seen online? And this does include places like social media, but other places as well. For example, mine is, I've written the Fast, Flat and Free book. That builds my reputation. I run regular webinars twice a month, free. I have a free newsletter with thousands of subscribers. I have this radio show. And as I mentioned before, I've got a blog. Second question, where do they find you first online? They won't find you at your website first. So are they going to find you on Facebook, on your personal page or your business page? Are they going to find you on Twitter or Google Plus? Are they just going to find you through Google search or LinkedIn, through Ning communities and forums? Where are they going to find you and make sure that you're there? And number three, how well are you leveraging everything that you do? If you write an article for your newsletter, do you also publish it to your blog? Do you record it out loud and publish it to your podcast? Do you make a little short video about it or or a slide share presentation? How well are you making use of every little piece of content that you create? 
Principle number four is to serve a niche, not the mass market. You see, the smaller your market, the better your offerings can be for that market, which means you can raise your prices, increase your profits, and pretty much eliminate your competition. Here are the three questions. So what is your niche and what makes them a niche? That's one question. And when you talk about a niche, think about not just a group of people, but also what problem that they have that you solve for them. Number two, who do you like to hang out with? So if possible, pick a niche of people that you actually enjoy hanging out with because you want to grow your business and so you want to spend more time with people you like to hang out with. And number three, where do they hang out online? There's no point doing all your online marketing in places where your particular ideal clients and customers don't hang out. So make sure you know where they hang out so you know where you can hang out as well to try and attract them and demonstrate your value so that they do become customers and clients. Principle number five is give them what they want, not what you've got. Many businesses make the mistake of just trying to push whatever products and services they've got on their market, but that doesn't work anymore. It's so easy for them with one click to go somewhere else. So you've really got to give them what they want. Okay, so here are the three questions. Number one, who wants what you've got? So let's start with the easy one. You've got something and who wants it? Number two, how do you know? Have you asked them through surveys or audience questions or do you find out in conversations or coaching sessions? So how do you really know what they want? And the third thing is, what else do they want? So even if it's not a product or service that you can offer, you can still be valuable to your customers and clients by referring them to somebody else because then you get seen as the go-to guy or the go-to gal for them and you build that relationship even if it's not a direct sale every time. Okay, we have to principle six of nine. Build a tribe, don't just chase the crowd. So this is about building and nurturing your tribe, the network of people who are important to your business. And this is not just your customers and clients. So here are my three questions for you. Number one, who has your clients before you? In other words, when your clients and customers are going through their daily lives and they eventually come to you, who do they have before you? Who do they come across in their day? Because those are the sort of people who might be affiliates or referral partners for you to bring people into your business. Question two, who can you collaborate with? Who are the people that you can run joint ventures with or have as guest experts that you can interview or bring into your network? And question three, What would you do if you were at the center of your tribe? I got this question from Michael Henderson, who's a corporate anthropologist, and he asked this question at a conference I attended once, where he said that most businesses run with a hierarchy, where the business owner is at the top and everybody else is in like this pyramid structure below, all the way down to customers and clients and other people in your network. But he says most cultural tribes have the chief in the center. So how would things change if you were at the center of your tribe? So perhaps you'd connect two people or bring together a bunch of people for a mastermind group. Or perhaps you'd run a conference with some of your clients and customers, maybe even your competitors. What sort of creative things would you do if you considered yourself rather than at the top of your tribe as being at the center of your tribe? Principle seven, make connections, not just transactions. You see, the internet has changed the way that people buy. Buyers are ready to buy when they perceive a need and sellers are ready to sell when they spot a prospect. But now the buying cycle often starts long before the seller is even aware that there is a cycle. So you need to be there in relation with your clients and customers, offering value all the time so that when they're ready to buy, you're there in front of them. 
Okay, so here are the three questions. Number one is, what is their buying sequence? So, for example, for me, I know that I get a lot of clients and customers through my newsletter. So it might start with the newsletter, then they'll sign up to the webinar series, they might attend more webinars, eventually they might buy the book, and then they might sign up to some of my other services, like, like mentoring or my e-gurus community, or they might book me to speak at a conference. Question two, what are your price points? Are you offering different price points so people can engage with you in different ways depending on their budget? So what do you have free? What do you have for under $20? What do you have for under $50? What do you have for $100 or so? What do you have for $1,000? And what do you have at multi-thousand dollars? And number three, how often are you publishing your email newsletter? Your email newsletter is one of the most powerful internet marketing tools you've got because it allows you to get into people's inboxes with their permission and deliver value to them. So you should do this, I recommend, at least once a month and if possible, every two weeks. Okay, principle eight is about creating buying frames. So create buying frames. Don't just force feed features and benefits. You don't know somebody's frame of mind when they visit your website. And if they're in the wrong frame of mind, they just won't buy. So you have to create the right frames for them. Question one, what are the benefits that you're offering? In other words, they're asking the question, what's in it for me? So what's the answer? What does your product or service offer in terms of results and outcomes, not just in terms of its features? Question two, why now more than ever before? So one of the questions that they're asking is, why should I do anything at all? And you need to be able to answer that question. Otherwise, inertia gets in the way and they won't take any action. And one of the ways you can do that is to talk about why this might be a problem now more than ever before. And number three, does your homepage answer all four why questions? Why me? Why this? Why you? And why now? Why me is about the niche that you're targeting. So does your homepage say exactly what sort of customer, client, website, visitor that you can help? Why this is about the benefits, which I've talked about. What's in it for me? Why you is why you an authority to be able to solve these problems. And why now, as I've also mentioned, is what's the urgency? So why should they do anything at all rather than doing nothing? Okay, the last principle is to deliver experiences, not just products and services. Almost everything else apart from experiences can be outsourced or duplicated, and experiences can't. So what experiences do you create for your customers and clients? So here are my last three questions for you. Number one, who else is competing with you? And they're not necessarily other speakers, trainers, coaches, consultants, and other professionals. Some of them may be your competitors, but you're also competing with Google and TED.com and templates and membership sites and webinars and e-learning and a whole bunch of other things where your clients and customers might be getting the same value that you're offering, but in a different way. So what can you offer to make those experiences different? Question two, what can't be copied in Chindia? So Chindia is a bit of an informal term that stands for China and India. So what can't be outsourced to India or manufactured in China? So what are you offering that is a really different experience that your customers and clients value? And number three, let's turn this around. What are you doing that you shouldn't be doing? So in other words, what can you outsource? And what are the sort of tasks that otherwise you would normally do or might be expensive for you to do, but you can outsource and get them done easily elsewhere? Okay, so that's it. So 27 questions in all. If you take the time to answer them for your business, you'll have a pretty good online marketing plan for 2013. I went through them pretty quickly. And as I said earlier, it's worthwhile rewinding and going through them step by step with pen and paper in hand and answering each one of those questions. And if you'd like to know more, I talk about these nine principles in my book, Fast, Flat and Free. 
Facebook, Google and Apple have changed the way the world works. Most business owners don't know the rules have changed. Get Gihan's book, Fast, Flat and Free, from fastflatandfree.com and learn how to make the internet work for you. So that's it for Expert Gold Radio for 2012. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something that you can use in your business. As usual, thanks to the beautiful Sharon Kerwood for helping with the voiceovers. This is our final episode for the year. So wish you all a safe and happy Christmas season and all the best for the start of 2013. I'll be back next month with a great feature interview with Michael Nalon talking about personal branding. Thank you and bye for now. You've been listening to the Expert Gold Radio Show. If you'd like to subscribe to the show, read the show notes, or leave your comments, visit expertgoldradio.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike.